0: Take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you will, this morning. 1 Corinthians in the third chapter. I'm going to begin to read with verse 10. Go down to verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning with verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, Yet, so as by fire. There's an interview day coming for every student, every faculty member, every staff member. Now, these interview days that we enjoy today and tomorrow for our class of 2018 are designed for that class. For those who are finishing their two-year or four-year or graduate degree these days are designed to allow them to meet some ministries that are looking for help. So the process is they come and they set up their displays and they make appointments. They look at resumes and they see some young people that perhaps have been trained in the area that they need. And an interview is set up. Some questions are asked and answered. And a process begins to bring these two people together. Not everybody uh, in the class of 2018 really needs these interview days. Some of our seniors already know exactly what God will have them do next year. They already have been hired in a ministry, perhaps back in their home church or perhaps a ministry they've served in during one of their summers here. Some of our seniors uh, have determined that they're going to pursue their master's degree, and so they're not really at this point looking for an opportunity to go out and and do something in the ministry just quite yet. Some of our two-year degrees are going to return for a four-year degree, and, and so on. So these interview days that we enjoy, these few hours, are not for everybody. But no one will miss this interview day. You won't be late. College students are notorious for being late. (laughs) But you won't be late. There'll be no excuses. You will tell the truth. You will not write your resume. It will already be written. And it will be honest. All will be exposed. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon said, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment you will have a final interview one day with God. God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Are you ready for interview day? Are you prepared to meet God? Oh, you may be prepared for the test next hour. You may be prepared to... Get home for Thanksgiving, plane tickets in hand, gas is already in your car, your suitcase is half packed, we're still a week away, but you're prepared. You're prepared for the break, you're prepared for that test, you're prepared for that date tonight with your girlfriend or boyfriend, but are you prepared to meet God? In Jeremiah chapter 8, God said, the stork in the heavens knoweth her appointed time." And the turtle and the crane and the swallow, they observe the time of their coming, but my people know not the judgment of the Lord. We heard a message earlier this week about you know, the birds and their migration patterns and so on. And we, we learned there that God has placed this, this information within them, which direction to fly and when to go south and when to go north. And God has programmed every one of his creatures a certain way to know when to hibernate or when to gather food for winter. It's just by instinct that they know these things. And God looks over his creation this morning and he says, yeah, the, the birds are heading south and, and, and some of the animals are all already in hibernation in the winter uh, states and and they all know to do that but but my people can't figure out there's an interview day my people just kind of go through life thinking oh this is never going to be accountable I want you to see this interview day a few years ago we did a drama here for college days or youth conference I don't recall which and it was the normal uh, practices and all these things in this particular drama it had a shooting in it and so I had borrowed a handgun I do not own a handgun if you want to kill me have at it I have no defense mechanisms whatsoever so I borrowed a handgun from one of our police officers. He was very kind to let me use it with some uh, a couple of clips of blanks, and we were going to use this gun in the in the drama, and and uh, it was under lock and key. He had put it in a nice case and, and delivered it to my office, locked up, gave me the key, and and uh, it was all everything was good. And we we did the drama, and I was very careful with that gun not to let it out of my sight. You know, I had a duffel bag with several props in it, and I made sure that I brought that to the practices and took it back to my office and locked it up again there. And and, uh, uh, we came to the performance, and everything went well. The gun actually fired on time, and everything was good. And after the drama was over, I put the gun carefully back into its case with with the clips and put it all back in there and locked it up and took it to my office, and I left it instructions with my secretary. Now I've got to get out of town, but Lee, make sure you call that officer. I don't want that gun in my office over the weekend. I want that out of here. I don't want any more responsibility with that. I've been messing with that for a couple of weeks and I don't want that responsibility. I I just, you know, even though it was blanks, I thought, you know, I just don't want to be responsible. So I left those instructions to get that gun back in the hands of the owner and I I packed my bags and I headed off to Greenville, South Carolina. And I was going to be preaching a revival outside of Greenville and so was flying through Atlanta and then into Greenville. And and so I packed my bag and, and I got on the plane and I headed to Atlanta and got through LAX security and all the nine yards there, got on the plane, went through Atlanta and got into Greenville, held the revival. I'm coming home and I'm coming through Greenville security. And you know how it is, the TSA and the whole nine yards. It's a fun experience. And you put your bags on the conveyor belt. You put your shoes there, your laptop, your belt. I mean, by the time you're done, you have nothing on. <laughs> and so I cleared through, and but my bag didn't come through. And I'm watching the belt, looking under that thing. It's kind of a, a weird feeling when your bag's not coming. And that person was behind me, but their bag's coming through. Where's my bag? And I began to get a little nervous. I'm watching for my bag to come out from under that, you know, that machine, and it just wasn't coming. And I'm standing there thinking, well, they must have pulled it back. Something must not have been, you know, attached right or something. They're running it through again, and so I'm waiting patiently, trying to be patient, but it wasn't coming through. And all of a sudden, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I turned around, and here was a officer. A female officer. <laughs> she was at least head and shoulders taller than me. I have no idea how tall she was, but I, I didn't really measure her. But she was, she was taller than me. She had a, a crew cut haircut. And she was, she was mean looking. And she's got a weapon on her side and another weapon on this side. And, and, and she said, uh, she pointed to a duffel bag that another officer was holding. Happened to be my duffel bag. She said, is that yours? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, follow me. Well, I... I followed her. I thought, well, they need to go through the bag. I mean, that happens. You know, sometimes, you know, you got stuff in there. I carry a lot of things with me to do. Sometimes I have books and sometimes I have postcards that I'm writing. And those things in the x-ray, they look like they're really packed. They look like they're, they're like solid of some kind. They can't figure out what it is. And so they have to go through it. So this wasn't really all that unusual, but I, I thought I've never had to go where we're going. All of a sudden we're in this private room. And there's not one officer there. There's not two officers there. There's five officers there. And none of them are smiling. None of them are, are like, hey, how you doing? They're all armed. And they're all standing there at attention as this woman hauls me in there. And they're all looking at me and my duffel bag is sitting there on the table. And uh, she asked me again, is this your bag? I said, yes, yes, ma'am. And uh, she then produced one of those gun clips from the gun I had borrowed. It somehow had not gotten into the case. It had remained in my duffel bag. I used the same duffel bag for drama props as I used to travel. (laughs) And here was that gun clip. And I'm seeing it lying there, and I, I said, I, I can explain. They said, Don't bother. I said, Seriously, there's a. They said, Stop talking. They said, Is this yours? I said, Well, technically, answer the question yes or no. Is this yours? Yes. I lied. I mean, I, what was I going to do? No. It's not mine. It was in my duffel bag. (laughs) I assumed they wanted a yes. I said, yes. (laughs) Technically, it belonged to the police officers in search, but they didn't want to hear that part. I said, yes. They said, where's the gun? I said, it's in California. They said, you have no weapon with you? No, 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 I don't. This is your clip, yes. Uh, You will sign this paper allowing us to destroy it. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, now I have an officer in California who's going to kill me when I get back. <laughs> I said, okay. So I signed the paper. They're going to destroy this clip. I signed the paper, turned it over to them legally. When and I got done, I, I thought, okay, they're going to let me go. And they, they, they were letting me go. And I said, would you like to hear the story? They said, no. Okay. I think that's about as close as I've come to the judgment seat of Christ in life. (laughs) I was being interviewed for something that wasn't good. Something that got me into a lot of trouble, or certainly could have. Are you prepared to meet God? four critical considerations this morning as we prepare for our interview day. These seniors have done some preparation for today. These who have come to interview them have certainly prepared to be here. A lot of money has been spent. Time has been spent putting resumes together. Now time is being spent pouring over those resumes and having meetings and so on. Are you preparing for your interview day? I want you to see, first of all, a deficient resume. In verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. At the foundation of our preparation is none other than the Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you have Him? Are you saved? There is no other foundation. You are not ready to meet God. You can have good grades. You can have a good, a, a, a good friends. You can have some good deeds in your life. You can have good works in your life, good thoughts, good disciplines. You can have all that, but without Christ, you are nothing at this interview. He is the foundation. Paul said, brethren, my earnest desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal toward God, but it's not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness which is of God. And I'm afraid even here in Bible college we can get so involved in our righteousnesses and all the things that we do to look like Christians and act like Christians and talk like Christians and sing like Christians and and do as Christians do. But are you a Christian? do you have Christ? The Pharisees fasted twice a week. They gave tithes of all that they possessed. They made broad their phylacteries. They loved the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. They loved to be called rabbi, rabbi in the marketplaces. But when Jesus came to those Pharisees, he said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but the inside is full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first the inside of the cup and the platter, that the outside may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're likened unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so you appear outwardly righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and all iniquity. O generation of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? Here were people that had perfect resumes religiously. Their resume was perfect when it came to keeping the law, dressing right, acting right, doing all the right things on the outside. But Jesus said, you're lost. Why? Because you have a deficient resume. Resume. You have not Christ. No, Jesus warns many shall come unto me in that day, saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful things? These people that were standing there, they had preached in his name, they had cast out demons in his name, they had done many wonderful works, but Jesus said, I never knew you. A deficient resume. Jesus, in Luke 13, verse 24, said, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. I know you not whence ye are. But we've eaten and drunk in thy presence, thou hast taught in our streets. I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrust out. Oh, listen, you're a West Coast Baptist College Bible student. You may be in the class of 2018. You may be taking Old Testament survey. You may be memorizing verses. You may be going out soul winning every week, but does your resume include salvation? Do you know Christ? Years ago, I was preaching at the Wilds Christian Camp and Conference Center. It was Proteins Week. Some of you that have grown up in churches that use proteins, they have a week at the Wilds where all those who have participated in proteins come together from across the country. And uh, these young people have, all year long, done certain things to earn points uh, in, their, in their Christian life. They, they get points for reading their Bible. They get points for going soul winning. They get points for reading books. They get points for writing essays. They, they, they have this program to help Christian young people stay on track and, 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 and serve the Lord. And, and uh, once a year, they come to the wilds and they, they, they all come together and they've tallied these points all through the year from these young people from all over the country. And the first night, they take the top 20 in America, and they put them up on the platform. The top 20 scorers. And it's really cool. I mean, it's amazing. And they, they tell you who these kids are and what church they're from. And, and, and they tell them a little bit about the, the, their, their background, their biography, and a little bit like that. And, and you kind of look at these kids and you go, wow, these are the cream of the crop. I mean, these kids, they've memorized all these verses. And they give you sort of a, 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 an outline of what they've had to do to be standing up there and how many points, that, you know, are possible to get. And these kids, they're all within, you know, a, a, a thousand points of the maximum. Well, then the next night they, 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 they take five off and there's 15 left. And then the next night there's 10 left. And then the next night there's five left. And they keep whittling it down until the last night they crown the champion. Well, the first night they put these 20 kids up there and I'm sitting down here waiting to preach. And I'm not real familiar with proteins at the time. I, I had heard about it, but I didn't know the, 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 the depth of all this work they had done. And I was truly amazed at some of the things they were saying about these kids. There was one girl on the platform though that I noticed her, her countenance was a little different than the others. Most of the kids up there were were, were sort of humble and, and, and you could just tell they were just kind of humbled to be up there and in the top twenty in the nation they You could tell they were just very appreciative of, of being recognized like this. but there was one girl that she didn 't show much of anything, just kind of a kind of a blank stare and uh, didn't really, didn 't really show much emotion or any real anything on her face after all this was over they had some special music and I preached and that first night they always as they do at the Wilds, they dismissed all the young men because they want to talk to young ladies for a while and uh, so they had the young ladies kind of come down move toward the front and this particular girl I'd watched her while I preached and she never looked up she never opened her Bible. And I thought, boy, she's not feeling well. I mean, she's one of these 20. She must have gotten awful nervous. She's just not feeling well. Because all through the service, she just kind of sat there with her head down, never opened her Bible. As the girls were moving forward, I was moving out with the guys, and I happened to pass by her. As she was moving forward, I was moving by, and and I said, uh, I said, hi. And she kind of went like this. Never said a word, just walked past me. I thought, well, that was strange. I'm an ugly guy, but (laughs) I wasn't trying to flirt. Just said hi. Every night, that girl made the 15 and then the 10 and then the five. And in fact, she was crowned champion. Out of all the points you could possibly win throughout an entire 365 days, She missed three points. From having the maximum number you could possibly earn, she came three short. A score that no one had ever attained before. But on Friday night, Tammy got saved. A sterling resume. And my fear is that there could be somebody here at West Coast Baptist College with a great resume as a freshman, as a sophomore, you've impressed us. Oh, you've got some talent, you've got some ability, and you sit in classrooms, and you're learning, and and you're growing, and, and we see progress in your life, but do you have a foundation? Do you have Christ? Do you have the Savior? Without Him, your resume is woefully deficient. Now notice, secondly, a discerning revelation. In verse 12, if any man build upon this foundation, remember the foundation is Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work, these gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest or made known because the day, interview day, judgment day, judgment seat of Christ day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. These building materials, once we have Christ, once we've established our salvation, and we have Christ on our resume, we have the foundation. Now God says, now I want you to build your life upon that foundation. And there's lots of materials you can use. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. I think if I were to categorize these, I think you could say that the gold, silver, precious stones are works that we do after salvation that are done in the power of the Holy Spirit. I would categorize the wood, hay, and the stubble are works that we do in our own power or in our flesh. And one day these works are going to be discerned by fire. Now, these building materials can look very similar. They can certainly serve you well in life. Oftentimes, those observing can't really tell the difference. I think all of us would say that Judas Iscariot lived a wood, hay, and stubble life. But nobody knew it. No one could tell that Judas was living in the flesh, living without Christ. He looked like the other disciples. He preached like the other disciples. It's my personal opinion. I have no real basis for why I believe this, but I think Judas Iscariot was the best preacher of the 12. I know he was the most trusted of the 12 because he kept their money. I don't think Peter or John or James or Andrew or Matthew uh, uh, thought that Judas was, was uh, the, the traitor, the deceiver, or the devil, as Jesus called him. They did not discern that Judas did not have the Lord. He looked like everybody else, he acted like everybody else, he did the things that everybody else was doing. In fact, at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus is there in that upper room, and, and you remember how the disciples had gathered there in that upper room, and, and Jesus is, is is beginning to talk about the fact that he's about to die. And as he does, he says to that group of disciples, one of you shall betray me. Remember that? One of you. Now, he had been talking about being betrayed, and that in fact, that's why they had come to Jerusalem, to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He had told them that. So they, they understood that, at least academically or mentally, that they were there for the very purpose of him being betrayed. But I don't think they thought the betrayer was coming from their group. And so when Jesus said, one of you, there's only 13 men in the room. He says, one of you shall betray me. And the disciples immediately began to say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? By the way, that's, that's an interesting. They didn't say, hey, Lord, is it Peter? Lord, I bet it's Thomas. He's been doubting you. No, they said, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And Jesus answers the question. Finally, Peter Says to John, who's leaning on Jesus' breast, he says, Ask him who it is of whom he speaketh. And so John asks him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus reaches, no doubt, across the table and he takes a piece of bread. And he says, Whosoever I shall give the sop after I have dipped it, the same is he. How many of you like to dip your bread in some gravy or some sauce? Yeah. If you ever go to Israel, the bread is really hard. It's very chewy. You better have strong teeth if you're going to eat bread in Israel. It's hard bread. And so they often would would place it into a sauce to soften the bread, to give it some taste perhaps. And and so he he takes this piece of bread and and he says, whoever I give this to after I've dipped it. So he's answered the question. They've asked him, who's going to betray you? He said, whoever I give this piece of bread to. So now all eyes are on Jesus. He takes that piece of bread. He dips it in that sauce and he reaches across the table and he gives it to Judas. (laughs) It's Judas, Judas, Judas. Was that the response? No. The Bible says, now no man at that table knew why he spake this unto him. For some of them thought because he had the bag, he should go out and buy something for the feast, or they should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out and it was dark. He just told them what it was for. But nobody suspected Judas. You know why? Because the wood, hay, and stubble and the gold, silver, and precious stones can look a lot alike. But one day, there's a discerning revelation. You see, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to the fruit of his doings. See, man, we look on the outward appearance, but not God. God looks at the heart. And again, young people, listen, here at Bible College, we as faculty, as staff, you as students, we can kind of go through the motions. Hey, by Thanksgiving time, we pretty much know how we're supposed to act, we know the drill. We, we know how we're supposed to dress, how we're supposed to talk, what we're supposed to listen to, what we're not supposed to listen to. you know, And we can put on the, the show. And the dean's office would never know the difference. But God looks at the heart. And at this interview day, there will be a discerning revelation. Now we see, thirdly, a desired reward In verse 14, if any man's work abide. In other words, he's going to set on fire our works. Now, when you put fire to gold, silver, and precious stones, it doesn't destroy them. It it purifies them, doesn't it? makes them even better. But when you put fire to wood, hay, and stubble, it consumes them. So the Bible says here in verse 14, if any man's work abide. In other words, it, it stands the test of this fire, which he hath built thereon. He shall receive a reward. He shall receive reward. Our, our God is a consuming fire who can stand before the Lord for he is as a refiner's fire. You say, well, I, I, look, I don't really care if I get any rewards. I just, I just want to go to heaven. I'm just glad I'm saved. I, I don't care about anything beyond that. I, I can live in a cottage. I can live on the outskirts of the celestial city. I don't care as long as I'm there. I don't care about rewards. Oh, you'll care that day because you're not keeping them. In Revelation chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 10, the four and 20 elders fell down before him, Jesus Christ, which sat upon the throne and worshiped him forever and ever and cast their crowns before that throne saying, thou art worthy to receive glory, power, honor, and blessing for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You see, any crowns that we obtained at this interview day for for works that were done in the Spirit and done for the Lord. Anything we receive for that, we're going to give back to Him. We're not going to strut around heaven saying, hey, look at my crown, check this out. Man, you didn't get much. Look at what I got. No. We're going to take those crowns, that reward, whatever it is, we're going to cast it at the feet of Jesus Christ. Must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one crown with which to greet Him? Must I empty handed go? Notice finally a devastating regret. In verse 15, if any man's work should be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself should be saved, yet so as by fire. Thank God we can't lose the foundation, we can't lose our Savior. We can't lose eternal life. But oh, the devastating regret of standing before him with wood, hay, and stubble burned into ashes with nothing now to give back to him. Are you ready for interview day? When I was in junior high, I... I got started playing sports and stuff and you know how that is some of you that have been through that stage you 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 have a little success whether it's in academics or music or sports or something like that and as a junior higher you start thinking hey I'm 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 pretty good you know I scored two points in the basketball game or whatever you know you you start kind of getting a little ego up until then you get made fun of and People are always putting you down, but when you get to junior high and you start getting a little of your own success, you you, you get a little ego and you get a little attitude, and sometimes you don't respond to your authorities quite like you should. My mother, whenever I would get that way, she'd say, John, why don't you get down off your high horse and live with the rest of us for a while? That was her way of saying, you're proud and you're getting haughty and you better humble yourself or I'm going to do it for you. And one night I came home from school and I had been in a bit of trouble at school. And when I was in trouble at school, I was in trouble at home. And, and I came home and my mom was very discerning. And I came in and sat down at the table that night to eat. And my dad had already gone out to the, to the barn to start the milking of the cows. And I had come in a little bit later than supper from ball practice. And I sat down, my mom kept my supper warm, and I, I started eating. And I had a bit of an attitude. And I don't remember all the details of the first part of the story. They sort of, they sort of faded with the end of the story. But I said something. I did something to my mom. I, I responded in a certain way where she just, you know, that was it. I had crossed the line. And she, she came over to that table and she grabbed me by the arm. And I, I was taller than she was now. I was bigger than she was. But she jerked me out of that chair. And she bent me over. And she starts spanking me. And she can make it hurt. But I'm in junior high. I'm not going to let her have the, the fun of knowing it hurt. So she's wailing away with everything she has. And finally she wore herself out, I guess. She kind of jerked me back up. And I looked at her and went, huh. Like, is that the best you can do? And she looked at me and she said, John, you go see your dad. Oh, now that was going to be a little different. (laughs) Dad was bigger than me. His hands were about twice the size of mine. Well, dad was out in the barn. So I headed that direction. But I wasn't in any hurry. The barn was about 100 yards from the house. And I took my good natured time getting out there. I never figured this out till one night I was telling this story in church. And it dawned on me. I never could figure out as a kid how my dad, in the time that I walked from the house to the barn, found out about everything I did. I never could figure that out. And then one day I was telling this story and it dawned on me. That's why we had a phone in the barn and in the, in the house. And the time I was taking my good nature time getting out there, my mom was on the horn, telling my dad everything. Well, I went to the end of the barn where I knew my dad wasn't. We milked the cows in stalls. They, they were all in their stall, and we milked them in the same sequence every, every morning, 4 o'clock, and every night at 4 o'clock. And I knew my dad would be just starting the milking process way down at that end of the barn, so I went to the other end. And I opened the doors, a big door slid on these, on these uh, pulleys, and I, I slid it back as quietly as I could, kind of slipped in and, and pulled it shut. And there were rows of cows on both sides, all the way down that barn, 50 of them, 25 on each side, and, and they're all standing there ready to get milked. And my dad was way down at the other end. And there was this cement pathway through the middle of the barn and and uh, gutters separated that middle section of cement from the stalls of the, bar- of the cows that's the bathroom and and so I, I started walking down the center of that barn and my dad was was at the very first cow and he had the milking machine on the cow and and he was finishing her up as we used to say when a cow milks you have to get all the milk out because if you leave any of it in there she can get sick gets mastitis what they call mastitis and she can die so you have to milk them out. Sometimes you have to kind of massage the udder. And sometimes you have to strip uh, milk them a little bit after you take the machine off even. You've got to get all that milk out. And so my dad was very, very careful about kind of holding that milker on for that very last bit of milk to make sure they were completely milked out. So he is squatted down in between cows and he's holding this milker on. He's got his back to the, to the center section of that barn where I am. And I walked up behind him. I didn't think he knew I was there. I, I just walked up there and, and waited. I'd been taught as a little boy, don't bother your dad when he's working. Let him finish his work. Because when you're working around machinery and animals, if you scare somebody or scare a cow, bad things can happen. And so I didn't care if my dad worked for the rest of his life that night because I was in trouble. And so I just stood there and waited. And pretty soon my dad, he, he pulled that milking machine off of that cow and he he stood up and he, his back still to me and he, he put that milking machine in, its, in order and he reached up and he took the suction hoses off of the airlines and he, he hung those on the milking machine and then he turned around with that 50 pounds of milk in his hand and he stepped over that gutter onto that cement slab where I was and tears were rolling down his face. his lip began to quiver. And he said, John, your sin makes me so sick. And he stood there and he wept. And as a 13-year-old kid, I, I wanted so badly for my dad to take one of those giant farm hands and just slap me because I needed it, I deserved it. I remember thinking, grab that board that we always kept a board up above the beams where if the cows got ornery, my dad would use that two by four hunt to correct them. And I wished he had grabbed that board and just hit me with it as hard as he could because I deserved it. But my dad never, never laid a hand on me that night, he never said another word. He just stood there and wept. there were a lot of nights as a high school kid when after a ball game i wanted to go to a party my friends would say hey come on guess we'll go we we'll got a party going i'd say nah i'm i'm beat i'm going home i never told him why But you know why I never tasted a drop of alcohol in high school? You know why I never messed around with a girl in high school? You know why I never smoked a cigarette or took any drugs? You know why? Because I never wanted to see those tears again. That night, standing before my dad and watching him weep over my wood, hay, and stubble changed the direction of my life. God weeping this morning over your life? As God discerns your heart and life, is he weeping? Would you let those tears? If we wouldn't want to, if we wouldn't want to see the tears of our human father again, how much more would we not want to bring tears to our heavenly father's eyes? you stand before him at interview day may you see a smile come across his face as he says well done well done thou good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the lord are you ready for interview day